Thanks, uh, thanks, Russia. Just wondering where, where to put my keys. Make sure I don't lose them. Uh, that should be okay. Great to, great to be with you. Can't see anybody. That's even better. I won't get nervous now. You youngsters did very well. I thought, how on earth do you speak so confidently? It's taken me 30 years uh, to get used to speaking in front of uh, people. Great to really be here. Uh, as Russell said, Heather and I were here at 21 uh, for 21 years and uh, saw some amazing God changes. We started meeting at St. Swithin's when it was a redundant building and saw God transform that and fill that, weirdly enough. And then we came to a B&Q warehouse on this site. Uh, some of you may remember that. And uh, it, was, it was one of those joyous moments where, again, God moved. Terry Virgo came to preach and said, this is an anvil uh, over which God's going to shape your faith. God wants you to stay on this site and build him a building. And we said, that's utterly impossible, but here we are, uh, because God is the God of the impossible. And uh, I just love this church. It, I haven't been here for a few years, and it's an honor and a privilege to speak and to be with you. I love the elders, obviously Russ and Catherine, but uh, Sean and Rachel, just wonderful, uh, wonderful people who lead this church. Sean in his gift of leading our worship for the whole movement. Uh, it's an incredible gift, and it's great to have Tim and Jackie that have moved in in not in my time, but in the post time, to bring strength to this church and encouragement. I just thank God for you all. Um, so it's a real joy to be with you. And you'll see because of what's behind me, unfortunately, I wasn't given a free hand to speak on whatever I like to speak on this morning. I was told well, I've got to speak on what is the good news? What is the gospel? And that's a good question. Uh, it's a question that uh, made me really have to think quite hard, actually, and do some homework, because it's very easy to say, well, we know that the, the Greek word, euangelion, or however Greek people speak it, is uh, brilliant news, great news, good news, the gospel, as we are translating in our Bibles, the, this fantastic news, but what is it exactly, and is it really that good a news? Uh, is what I want to uh, really focus on this morning. And I think and in terms of the prophetic, I was really uh, really moved by the prophetic, actually. The prophetic is sort of like helping us to get in a place. I mean, particularly, uh, should you share just at the end there, was talking about um, Jesus could do no mighty miracles in that place. And uh, I believe he wants to do a mighty miracle in, that, in this place. But... You're going to need faith this morning, faith to respond to this message so that the good news becomes good news for you. And I'm not speaking to the unbeliever this morning. I'm talking to the church. You see, good news, we all know what good news is, don't we? You will have had a bit of good news in your life, I hope. I don't know what your best news was. Maybe it's something as simple as your football team won yesterday. Oh, that's good news. Maybe it's the fact that you have uh, become pregnant. Oh, that's great news. Maybe it's the fact that you've got a job after a long time or you've got three A stars or whatever. Brilliant news, great news. Maybe you've come into an inheritance. Maybe your lottery numbers have come up. 
And it's a million pound, or I don't know what it goes these days, probably 10 million pound or 50 million pound rollover. So your numbers have come up. Good news, brilliant news. But good news is also dependent on your context. See, it's got good news if you're pregnant, if you had a one night stand. That's not good news. It's not good news if your football team won yesterday, but actually they're rooted to the bottom of the championship. It's not good news in terms of you've inherited a million pound if that, is, that has come about through the death of your most loved mum or dad. It's not even good news with your lottery ticket, and I hope you're not doing the lottery. <laughs> but just in case you are, for the illustration, it is not good news if you keep that lottery ticket in your back pocket for the whole of your life. Because you don't come in to what that good news says. And that's the point of what I want to try and bring this morning. I want you to enter into heaven's good news for yourself and not think, well, they've entered into it. I'm glad they've got it. No, this is good news for everyone in this room this morning. The good news we're looking at is heaven's good news. And heaven's good news was... Uh, prophesied and uh, spoken about uh, thousands of years before Jesus came to the earth, that the world was lost and uh, it needed rescuing, it needed God to do something to save it, and the prophets spoke about one who would come and redeem and rescue and bring mankind back into relationship with God. And it was Jesus Christ, a couple of thousand years ago, as His birth was announced. We're going to celebrate that in a few months' time. Remember the shepherds watching over their sheep and the angels came above them and they said, this is good news. Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born who is Christ the Lord. That was the declaration, heaven's declaration of Jesus. And then Jesus, now grown up, 30 years old, beginning his ministry, he comes to Nazareth, and goes into the um, synagogue. He opens the prophet Isaiah, and he reads, I think it will come up on the screen as well, the spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him and he began by saying to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The good news was just being declared in Jesus Christ. And it's good news in terms of God has done something about this world. God has declared and proclaimed this good news over the world that he is in the rescue business of redeeming and saving a lost mankind and bringing him, them into a relationship with Jesus. 
But I want to suggest to you this morning that the church, this church, most churches in the West have reduced the gospel down into a moment of crisis, a moment of decision, a moment of salvation where the lost pray a prayer, believe in Jesus Christ, find heaven's answer, enter into a relationship with God, and at that point, get their heavenly insurance certificate that they're now a child of God, they're now saved, and then they've got the rest of their life to live which to be honest is a little bit boring and that's why so many people I believe stop coming to church because the gospel seems to be just for that moment. It seems to be just for the entering into the life. It's the jump bleeds that get the engine started. It's the doorway into the house. And then it's, well, just live your life your way. I want to speak to you this morning that the gospel is the engine of our life. It's not just how you get into the life of God. It is the very life of God that we enter into, the gospel. It isn't the doorway into the house. It is the house. It isn't the gate onto the way. It is the way. The life you and I are meant to live is meant to be a life where we're living in the good of the gospel every day. We're confessing our sins. And by the way, Uh, The guy I'm discipling, uh, helping in London, a guy called Howard Satterthwaite and his wife have written this book, Spiritual Detox. It's amazing how the very discipline, you know when you pray the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our sins as we forgive those, or that prayer in, 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 in 1 John 1, 9 where it says, if we sin, if we confess our sin, he is faithful. This is a helpful, practical guide to how That daily discipline of confession needs to be part of our life so that the gospel actually is washing and cleaning and bringing us into the life of God. You see, when I became a Christian, this funny thing happened to me. I became a Christian. It was very much black to white. I wonderfully saved, messed up life, even at the age of 15, and God rescued me and saved me. And then I became a Christian, and the lady who, or the girl who invited me to church, she bought for me a silver cross as a gift. And I wore the silver cross. I I, I wore the silver cross to school. I wore it on sports days. I wore it on exam days. And, And what happened was that Jesus, the glorious, incredible savior of the world, became limited to a matchbox Jesus where I could get him out on exam days, and Jesus, just I haven't done any revision, I know that, I'm confessed that. <laughs> I just love you, just help me to get grade A's, please. Uh, sports days, another great moment. Jesus, I want to beat that horrible person next to me. I know I'm second best, but if he could trip up on the hurdles, that would be really, really magnificent. But as soon as the hurdles were over, as soon as the exams were over, well, gee, thanks a lot in my life to live my way. Jesus was limited to a matchbox. And I tell you what, for many, many born-again believers, Jesus is the matchbox Jesus. 
He's the Jesus of the car parking space. He's the Jesus of the crisis. He's the Jesus of the sniffly cold. That Oh, this is getting annoying. I don't know what else. I'll turn to Jesus. And it's that I want to try and help you break. And you need to be obedient to the prophetic this morning because I'm going to try and illustrate this. And what I want you to do, so I'm giving you a heads up here, okay? This is a, a warning. What I want you to do is the end of this message, I'm going to invite you to identify with one of four situations where I believe you're a Christian, you have a relationship with Jesus, but you today are in a prison that God wants to bring you out of and bring you into the good of his spirit and his gospel and his forgiveness. So I want you to make up your mind now in your head. If one of these, if I identify one of these, I'm going to come forward. Don't worry, I'm not going to make you do anything other than just come forward. And I'm going to pray for you as we conclude this meeting. You see, what comes, this is a great quote of A.W. Tozer. Let me just, hopefully it will come up. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. That's what I want to try and help everyone in this room with this morning. What comes into your mind when you think about Jesus, God the Father, the Holy Spirit, is the most important thing about you. Most important thing about you. And I believe, and I know it's true in my life, I have limited God so often instead of coming into the vastness of the good news of the gospel. And I am really ambitious for all of you. All of you, I'm I'm talking about elders, I'm talking about everybody, the newest Christian, non-Christian in this room to come in to this goodness. So in order to illustrate this, and I've been doing my homework because, well, I I like to try and be prepared. In order to illustrate this, we're going to have four volunteers. And these four volunteers are going to illustrate how as Christians... It's the gospel, the good news, the word of God, which is a key to get them out of a stronghold in their mind, a stronghold of thinking and belief. There is the key of the gospel that unlocks them and brings them into freedom. And so I wonder if I can have... Four volunteers. First of all, the two volunteers I've already asked, that'd be really good. Priscilla and um, Kerry, if you could come forward. Maybe Tim and Russell, because I don't want to embarrass anybody else because of the names. You can be the two male volunteers. So if you'd like to come and stand up here on the platform with me, that'd be really, really helpful. You're not going to be embarrassed. You're not going to be made to look stupid. If you stand, yeah, right. Honestly, you can trust, trust me, Tim. Right, I need, um, I need Tim on the end, then I need uh, Priscilla, and then I need Russ oh, next to Priscilla, and lastly I need Kerry on the end. Right, four wonderful volunteers, I'm going to come down here, be with you. And we're going to, I'm going to introduce them, and the first one, and this is a prison, these are beautifully prepared by my wife, my loving assistant. Tim, I'd like you to be in prison, please. (laughs) Now, Tim is Mr. Moral. Now, Mr. Moral is a very good member of this church. Mr. Moral has brought up in a Christian home. His mum and dad brought him up proper. His dad was quite strict, quite legalistic. It was about rules, and Mr. Moral kept the rules. 
Mr. Morrill's dad was quite serious, quite somber, quite legalistic. You had to do things in order to please the dad. And that's what God was like. God was quite miserable. God was quite aloof. And Mr. Morrill lived his life in that way. He, he chose Christ at the age of six. He chose Christ again at the age of seven. And uh, he felt that Jesus was quite nice. God was quite distant. And Mr. Morrill loves reading he loves studying. He loves church. And Mr. Morrill draws lots of lines. He divides the church up between the good and the indifferent, between the bad and the, and the, and the not so brilliant. He divides lines in terms of what people should and shouldn't do. He feels he's on the right side of the line. He looks down on most people in this church, to be honest, because you are a load of losers. Mr. Morrill keeps the rules. <laughs> He keeps the rules. He, 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 he loves queuing. Mr. Morrill loves queuing. He hates queue jumpers. He queues as a part of his hobby. He loves to get in a good queue. And if anybody jumps that queue, Mr. Morrill is on them. Mr. Morrill knows that he sins though. But when Mr. Morrill sins, he has an answer. He tries really, really hard to be good for a week. Or maybe he can get to two weeks where that sin doesn't block him off. And he, he feels like in terms of the good and the bad, he is in the good majority. Mr. Morrill lacks assurance. He lacks intimacy. He lacks that knowledge of God as father. Mr. Morrill. Next we come upon Miss Orphan. Now, Miss Orphan has had a terrible life. She grew up in an orphanage, and as people came week after week after week, no one wanted Miss Orphan. Miss Orphan, she just wasn't beautiful enough. She wasn't uh, clever enough. She, her skin was the wrong color. Her hair was the wrong color. Her eyes were the wrong color. No one wanted Miss Orphan until one day, right at the end of, a, of a, another visiting, someone says, oh, I'll take her as well. And so she was taken into a Christian family, and Miss Orphan grew up in a Christian family, but she always felt she didn't quite belong. She went to school and she was bullied at school. She was bullied because she didn't quite fit in there. She tried so hard to fit in. She made a decision for Jesus Christ. She, she became a Christian. She went along to the youth group at church and she decided, yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian. But even in church, she didn't really fit. No one spoke to her after the meeting. No one wanted to be her friend. And as she grew up, she became more and more critical. She wanted to get even. She would watch what people were doing. She wanted to rain on their parade. She wanted to pull herself up to be in the in crowd, even though she knew in her heart of hearts she would never be in the in crowd. She tried very hard at exams. She got good grades. She tries very hard in the church to fit in. But really, she's quite critical Every time there's a party, she's never invited. Every time there's a Facebook group, she's never on it. She looks and scans Instagram, Facebook. She's always left out. No one wants her. What is it with this church? She's critical of this church. 
Because you lot all say one thing, oh, we all love each other, but she is, does not feel loved at all. Miss Orphan is in her prison cell. Next we come upon one no one will be surprised at. Master Sinful. Now, Master Sinful, Master Sinful uh, always uh, enjoyed the fast life. <laughs> he was one for the ladies. He, he, he partied long and hard. He, he was one of these sort of guys that actually, if anything's, anyone's trying anything, I'll try it. Do you want to try some drugs? I'll try a bit of drugs. Anyone want to get drunk? I'll get drunk. Anyone want to sleep around? I'll sleep around. I'm a party animal. And then he gets saved, powerfully saved in a big crusade meeting. He comes to faith in Jesus Christ and he's wonderfully, wonderfully set free. All his sins are washed away and he, he becomes a real passionate member of the church. He joins this church. He, he loves this church. He's often shared his testimony, got baptized. Really, really good guy. But Master Sinful has a hidden life. He has learned how to pretend, how to pretend to you all, how to fit in. Everyone thinks he's bold and brave and outrageous and loud, but inwardly he's dealing with sin that he can't get free of. He's tried. He's gone back to the cross. He's, he's bent on the knee. He, he's pleading on heaven's door, but he feels like the Monopoly player where the get-out-of-jail-free cards are now run out. And now he's not even sure why he comes to church because if anyone knew what he did in private, what he looked at on the internet, how he thought about you, how he actually spoke about other members of this church, he'd be too ashamed. And he is in his prison. And lastly, we have Miss, Mrs. Worry. Mrs. Worry comes from a long line of warriors. Her mum and dad were brilliant warriors. They worried about everything. They came out of a, a background of worrying. Their grandparents and great-grandparents worried. If there's anything to worry about, they'd worry about it. And so as she was growing up, she was terrified of spiders. She was frightened out of her wits by snakes, although she'd never seen one. She was frightened of the dark and never go out in the dark because there's all kinds of murderers out there. She worries about everything. She became a Christian. She prayed the prayer 30, 40 times because she was worried God wouldn't have heard. She's worried she didn't do enough. She didn't pray it right. She worries about coming to church on a Sunday. She worries about you giving her COVID. She worries about taking the vaccine. She's not sure of that. She's worried about the elders of the church. Do the elders know what they're doing? She's worried about her kids. She's worried about her future. She's worried about end times. She's worried. Do you get it? And yet she comes on a Sunday and she smiles and she puts on a brave face and no one knows that her life is controlled by worry. She is enslaved to that fear and doesn't come into the freedom that God wants. So we have four prisoners. All who need unlocking. And the unlocking keys are the gospel. 
And it's here, my brothers and sisters, we need to be men and women who know the gospel. Know the word of God, which is the gospel. Because that's what sets us free in the power of the Holy Spirit. And in order to illustrate this and the power of the word of God, the person I want you to think of is the Apostle Paul. You know the Apostle Paul said in Romans, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone. You know, in, as, he, as he writes, he wrote shorthand in 1 Corinthians 15 that Christ died according to the scriptures. Christ was risen according to the scripture. Christ will come again. He wrote powerful scriptures to remind us what the gospel is and the power of it. But perhaps the two greatest letters he wrote, Romans and Ephesians, where he goes into what the gospel is. That's why we need to study it and come into the good of it. And so we're going to look, we're going to just remember, imagine Paul writing Ephesians. He's in his prison cell. It's AD 60. It's the first time he's been arrested. He's been put into a Roman prison. He's got his scribe with him. And he's writing to a church in Ephesus and he's thinking about the whole church, all of you and all of these who make up the church. And so he writes, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. To the saints, that's who you are in Ephesus, called to be faithful. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ because what we all need every time we gather is both God's amazing grace and his eternal peace. And he comes in Ephesians chapter 1 to Mr. Morrill. And he says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There was never a time when God was not father to our Lord Jesus Christ. Heaven was always been full of joy, full of laughter. If you listen down the eons, you'll hear laughter in heaven because there's been eternal joy for all eternity and for all eternity. Praise be to the God and Father, Lord Jesus Christ, who, Mr. Morrow, has blessed us Bless you with every spiritual blessing. Not one or two, not a few little things. Every spiritual blessing is yours, Mr. Morrow, in Christ. Every spirit. He chose you, Mr. Morrow, before the creation of the world. Before the world ever began, he chose you to be holy and blameless. Not because of what you're going to do, Mr. Morrow, but because of everything that he has done for you. You don't need to live in that prison cell because Christ has set you free. Thank you. The gospel, he continues. In love, he predestined you He predestined Miss Orphan for what? The adoption of sonship. The adoption of daughtership. According to his great pleasure. In love, he predestined you for the adoption of sonship. 
to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has lavished on you. Miss Orphan doesn't need to stay in that prison cell because God has chosen her. He chose you, Miss Orphan, before the creation of the world in order to be adopted as his son, as his daughter. And so Miss Orphan, as you come to church Sunday by Sunday, you need to get this key, unlock this key and come into the freedom that you were chosen before the creation of the world. You were chosen by him. You aren't an afterthought. You were the first thought. Billions of years ago, he adopted you. How? In love. In that divine love, he set his love upon you so you never have to compare yourself with anybody, but know the freedom that God brings you as you become his child. Thank you, Miss Orphan. Another key, important for Mr. Sinful, In him, in Jesus Christ, we have redemption, a slave term, a slavery term of someone who's in a prison and needs to be redeemed. In him, we have redemption. What is the redemption price for Mr. Sinful through his blood? The blood that was shed on Calvary's tree is the blood that's been shed for Mr. Master Sinful. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to what? According to his grace, which he lavished on us. Which he lavished on us. How many times can I sin and Jesus forgive me? There is untold forgiveness. There is a mighty Niagara of grace that flows towards us this morning, flows towards Mr. Sinful. You have redemption. Through his blood. You don't need live in sin. You need to confess your sin and he's faithful and just and bring you into the freedom of his son. That's your inheritance. You're free. And now Mrs. Worry. You know Mrs. Worry, she feels like the whole world is in chaos. Her life's in chaos. She doesn't know where. Well, we come to the final part of this text that I'm quoting from this morning. And in this text, it says this. I'm going to read it completely. He may, with all wisdom and understanding, nothing's surprising God. He's in, he's in control. He made known to you, Miss Worry, the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ. God has a plan, a master plan. And that plan is working out its purposes in the midst of COVID, in the midst of your situation. That plan is being worked out today for Miss Worry. And it says this, In him you were chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity to his will. Miss Worry, there is a plan. There is a master plan. You haven't got a fear. You haven't got to worry what's going to happen tomorrow. Jesus said, don't worry about that. I have the whole world in my hands. And you can come out every Sunday, Miss Worry, and be set free from your worries because Jesus holds you in his hands. He holds your future in his hands, your kids in his hands. He holds the whole world in his hands and you are 
free. Thank you. So, how do I finish this? How does Paul finish this introduction? And this is really important because this is how we're going to respond. It says here, and you, verse 13 of chapter 1, were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of salvation. There it is, the good news of salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a, guarantee, a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. What needs to happen now is you need to enter into the good of these four situations because the Holy Spirit is in you if you're a Christian, if you're a child of God. And there is a down payment, a deposit that's been put in there. But there's more that God wants to deposit in you this morning. There's more freedom for you to enter into. There's joy for you to know this morning where you can be set free by the gospel, by the power of God to come into the freedom of the sons of God. And so what I'd like to happen, I should have, should have kept these four up here, shouldn't I, with their four things. Uh, yeah, come back up those four and just stand in four different places. I'd like to pray that you would have the boldness, as the worship would come up as well, I'd like you to pray that you would have the boldness. Perhaps, Tim, if you can go to just in that, slightly over there, and uh, where's, uh, have we, got, we haven't got Priscilla, have we? She's on worship team. So, so maybe, uh, Heather, you come and do one. Kerry, can you do one still, or you've got to do something? Right, Heather, go and stand there. Now, I believe, and as I prepared this and prayed into this, I believe there are people that just need to come into freedom this morning. That was what the whole prophetic sense was. Fixing your eyes on Jesus, not the hurdles, not what's stopping you. Fix your eyes on Jesus. You don't feel worthy. You don't get on that balloon ride. He's paid for it all. Everything's been done. And the Holy Spirit is waiting here to fill you, to refresh you, to renew you, to forgive you, so you can leave this place in the power of the Spirit to go again. So why don't you stand, and as we start to worship after I've prayed, if you know you want to identify with one person this morning, one prison cell this morning that you've been struggling with in this last week or month, why don't you come forward and just stand with these people? Lord Jesus... Lord Jesus, we thank you for the glorious gospel. We thank you it's only the doorway by which we come into more and more and more forgiveness, more and more grace, more and more adoption and love of the Father. And Father, I plead with heaven this morning that no one, no one in this room would stand far off from this loving invitation to come and to be renewed and be redeemed and to be freed that we wouldn't be hearers of the word, we'd be doers of the word. So I pray for faith now, like the day we became a Christian, faith to leave our seats and to respond and to come forward and to stand in these areas and say, today, I'm gonna walk into freedom in this area. I pray it for Jesus' sake, amen. Now you may need to come forward and maybe all of you need to come forward, I don't know, but I just feel... If I feel God has put in my heart that many, many today will come into the freedom 
of each of these situations. So as we start to sing, why don't you just come forward and stand with someone, one of these people. Why don't you come forward right now and let's worship him.